0: Well hello and welcome to the King's Arms guys we are so pleased to welcome you to our online meeting today and uh, even if it's your very first time with us we're so glad that you are here. Now if we've not met before my name is Steve and this is my really good friend Ali who's going to be hosting with us today and uh, we just wanted to start with a question actually because sometimes around our dinner table one of the things that we like to do is just to talk for a little bit about what our high and our low is of life right now. So if you've never been asked that question before it's a good one to put in your pocket for a dinner time when you want to start a discussion around the dinner table but Ali come on tell us how you're getting on what's your high and low right now
1: okay um probably my low is it feels like we've gone from naught to 100 really fast this term and my brain is so full of a million things and I've got to-do lists coming out my ears and I'm thinking about it last thing at night first thing in the morning so just head crammed with stuff um, my high is that we're allowed back in prison um, so we can't do services yet, but I've been able to go in um, and do one-on-one conversations with people and just get to have really amazing time talking so with good. people on the wing and yeah, seeing how they're doing, getting to pray for people.
0: It's Fantastic. Great. So the high and low, I think for me, I think the low would be just being real with you. I think there are times as a family when we're really struggling with uh, the fact that we can't connect with other families right now, other than obviously online and Mm. those kind of things. And so it just sucks a little bit when you want to spend time with people. I'm a real kind of uh, the sort of person who wants to be spending time with people all the time. And so if you're in that boat too, I can relate to you. I feel your pain. I'm praying for you. Um, But the high is I don't know whether you uh, remember a week or so ago, I shared with uh, people the three circles. And uh, a tool, practically, that you can demonstrate to someone the good news of the gospel. And uh, I actually, that week, went out into town mm. and uh, just got chained to a, a, a young man uh, in Bedford. And, uh, you know, he was in his early 30s, but he had said to me that he's never heard about Jesus. And he didn't know the truths of, of Christianity and so wow. on. I didn't know what Christianity was all about. And I got to show him the three circles. Anyway, right there on the street, just this Monday, just gone, I got to lead him to Jesus. That's which is amazing. An amazing. thing. And so, so God good. is still on the move, even though we're in this strange time and season.
1: Yeah actually our small group got to meet um, in person for the first time since lockdown so we've been meeting over Zoom the whole time Um, and we got to meet in smaller groups in people's homes and it was so nice just to be together again. Um, We got to soak and just kind of talk and pray together and people have prophetic words it was amazing Um, and just want to encourage you um, this is the last week for sign up to groups actually and whether it is online or whether it's in person groups are going to be running again um or still running like in the case of our group um so i really want to encourage you get online kingsarms.org forward slash groups and sign up it is such an important time to have community and connection when the world is so strange at the moment
0: Absolutely. Well, listen, we want to throw ourselves at God right now. And so I recognise that as Mary leads us just now, you might be in all sorts of different uh, positions emotionally or physically. Maybe you're incredibly busy. Uh, Maybe you've come off uh, half term with the children and you're frantic or you've had a really good family time. You know, for some people, I know they'll be frustrated or anxious or bored right now. But the truth is that no matter what situation, no matter how high or how low life feels right now, Jesus is still the Mm. way, the truth and the life. And he's always worthy of our praise and our adoration. So let's come before him and let's sing and let's express that adoration to him right now.
2: The power of hell, forever defeated. Now it is well, I'm walking in freedom for God so love. Jesus is waiting, God so loved the world. things have blown.
1: Just while we're in this place of worship, I wanted to share something from this week um, that's just really been living with me. So when I was in the prison, I was talking with one of the guys there and he had grown up doing a bit of Sunday school, but didn't really have a um, relationship with God. And as we were talking, um, he said he had once encountered the Holy Spirit um, just this one time. Mm-hmm. and so. I started to share with him the story of the lost son and as I finished suddenly I was really aware of the Holy Spirit Mm. and um, just as like I looked up his eyes were really wide I was like you feel it too don't you and he was like that's what I was talking about it was amazing and just in that moment suddenly the presence of the Holy Spirit was so strong Mm. and in me there was suddenly incredible joy and i think just as we're closing worship i just want to pray for that sense of joy that comes when the presence of god comes and like in a minute all the things i've been worrying about and thinking about were gone and it was just so sweet to be Mm. in god's presence so if that's okay i want to pray for that now Mm. um this this um psalm was what was kind of going through my mind that day it says Um, You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence Mm. and eternal pleasures at your right hand. So I just wanna pray that for us now. Yeah, Father God, I thank you that as your presence comes, we just encounter the joy of your spirit. And Father, would you come now in joy? I pray that as, as people just engage with you, God, that whatever else is going on, whatever other circumstances or distractions, Joy would just come in our hearts right now, that sweet encounter with you, God, that changes everything. Come, Holy Spirit. Yeah. Thank you so much, God, and I pray that this week you just enable us to encounter you, even in two minutes, ten minutes, God, as we draw close to you, would you just come rushing in and meet with us?
0: Yeah. Amen. Amen. Yeah, one of the psalmists also says... um, I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And um, it would just be my encouragement right now to encourage you to lift your head up, no matter what your circumstances and situation, mm. and know that He's with you and He is for you. Mm all right fantastic well listen the next thing that we're going to be doing is hearing the testimony of a good friend of mine called anu lao and her journey to faith what i do need to say though is that in the midst of Anu sharing her story is that she covers covers a couple of uh, adult more mature themes okay and so if it is the case that you're uh, watching with children right now i would suggest now is the, the right moment just for two or three minutes to go and grab yourself a squash and a biscuit from the cupboard or something else but I would also say to you that if any of the themes that she mentions specifically speak to you or in a, a position where uh, you're affected by some of the things that she talks about, can I encourage you to either talk to one of the prayer team who are gonna be on the chat right now, or indeed what you can do is email in at the church to pastoral at kingsarms.org, and we would love to support you in that situation. Let's hear Anu's story.
3: Hi, my name's Anu, I'm 25 and I work in mental health. I want to tell you my story about how I met Jesus. Just to give you a heads up I will talk about depression, self-harm and suicidal feelings. Before meeting Jesus the story I told myself was that I should be ashamed of myself. I was suffering with depression, I self-harmed and I felt unworthy of anyone's help or attention. I told myself that I didn't matter. These dark thoughts spiraled and I didn't want to live In my head or in my life anymore and then everything changed i had a really low day and i tried to end my life i was drunk alone and feeling at a complete loss i took a knife and started cutting myself i heard a loud voice that said don't do it i lived alone so i thought gosh i'm going crazy than i thought but the power of that voice shook me It cut through everything, and it sobered me up instantly. After this, I needed to find out more about that voice. I was still really confused, and I tried going to a church in London. The first time I went, I felt really weirded out. People were singing loudly, had their hands in the air, and were really emotional. But I was desperate for a change, so I went a second time, and that's where I met Jesus. While everyone was singing, I felt as though I wasn't in the room. I felt such a warmth and the most intense feeling of love. It was like Jesus was saying, well, I'm right here now, so you can't deny me anymore. I knew that Jesus was real, and that his love for me was so overwhelmingly real. I knew that Jesus knew every single bad thing that I had ever done, but none of that mattered. I was so loved and treasured by him and it was so different to what I'd told myself for such a long time. It's been a few years now since that moment and my life has changed hugely. It's not been smooth sailing but I find myself telling a story that I am loved and worthy and that I have so much to offer people. I used to get pretty anxious about situations that weren't in my control, and while I'm not perfect, now I believe that Jesus is in ultimate control. I used to feel unworthy, and now I know that God has a purpose for my life. It's given me the confidence to pursue a career path that I didn't think was possible. I used to think that once all of the aspects of my life were in order, then I'd be happy. And Jesus showed me that joy exists within all the moments, within the good times and the bad times. So the story I'm since telling myself, since meeting Jesus, is that I'm loved and treasured and appreciated and worthy.
0: Isn't it amazing to hear Anu's story? And we would encourage every single one of you, look out for opportunities where God might want you to share your story with somebody else as well. Okay, well listen, as we do every week, just wanted to encourage you that if you would like to contribute to what God's doing here at the King's Arms, uh, you can click on the button that's on your screen now or go to kingsarms.org slash donate. And the other thing that every week happens if you're watching online in our kind of live stream meetings, then I would encourage you to uh, be looking out for the words of knowledge that the hosting team are putting online because we would love to take the opportunity to pray for you today. Well, listen, just to say, guys, we are about to launch into the message that Phil Wilfew has prepared for us today. And one of the things that just amazes me, you know, and I was even chatting to someone this morning who was saying with his church, he's regularly tuning in to uh, King's Arms messages all the way from Tasmania, just outside of Australia, which is quite remarkable. So I've got no doubt the reach of these things is blessing Bedford, but also across the the world indeed, which is just a phenomenal thing. Mm. So listen, let's tune in right now as Phil Wilfew shares the word of God with us.
4: Well hello, thank you so much for joining us wherever you are today and we are still in our Nehemiah series although we are really coming to the end of our series and today we are going to be in Nehemiah chapter 8. And Nehemiah chapter 8 is amongst my favorite passages in scripture because it's a passage about revival. It's a passage about what happens when God comes to town and it's a breathtaking account of a spiritual awakening in the community of Israel. And I've always loved reading the accounts of revival, those times in history where God has just suddenly come on a community or a, or a city or a nation, and has caused a spiritual revival to take place. So my, one of my, probably my most read book is Colin Whittaker's book, Great Revivals. I'm on my third copy because of excessive page turning. I'd encourage you to get it and read accounts of what God's done in the history of revival through the centuries. And this is one of those moments where God suddenly comes to town. Uh, one person's definition of revival, Brian Edwards writes this, He says revival is a true Holy, Holy Spirit revival is a remarkable increase in the spiritual life of a large number of God's people accompanied by an awesome awareness of the presence of God, intensity of prayer and praise, a deep conviction of sin with a passionate longing for holiness and unusual effectiveness in evangelism leading to the salvation of many unbelievers. Revival is remarkable, large, effective, and above all, it is something that God brings about. This is what we're talking about today: a spiritual revival. Probably my favourite revival that I used to read about growing up as a teenager was the Welsh Revival of 1904, where in just two years a hundred thousand people gave their lives to Christ in Wales uh, under the leadership of a man called Evan Roberts. And it was just a breathtaking story of how God changed the nation and the ripples went literally all over the world. The crowds in Wales during the height of the revival were so large that no one could get into a building unless they arrived hours beforehand. Meetings would often last for seven hours plus because people just lost sight of time and and where they were. They were just so hungry to be in God's presence. There was incredible conviction of sin. Some of the most notorious people in the the towns in Wales got converted and came to Christ. The police at the time, Cardiff police in 1904, reported a 60% decrease in drunkenness in the city and that 40% fewer people were in jail. Coal miners would leave the mines and go straight to prayer meetings till 3 a.m. in the morning, then go home, wash their faces, have breakfast, and then head straight back down the mines again. There was a spiritual fervor, a spiritual hunger in those times and the ripples of the Welsh revival literally went all over the world. This is what happens in times of revival, these special times of awakening where God suddenly comes. And that is what we're gonna read about today in Nehemiah chapter eight. And what I want to do is just pick out three characteristics of revival to help us know what we're looking for, but also how to pray. So here's the first characteristic of revival, a fresh desperation for God a fresh desperation for God. Let's read in chapter 8 and verse 1 of Nehemiah. We read, All the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon. That's six hours. That's what I call a sermon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. In revival times, we see this fresh hunger, this desperation from God. And this is what we see in this passage is all the people came and gathered to hear the word of the law read there was a hunger for God and somehow Nehemiah was not just a architect of bricks and mortar he wasn't just the the purveyor of a rebuilding project somehow he created a spiritual atmosphere of hunger for God so that on this day when the words of the law are read the whole city turns out to listen because they are hungry for God in a new way. A spiritual revival is taking place in the nation. It's more than bricks and mortar. It's a spiritual renaissance, a spiritual renewal. And Ezra reads the law for six hours straight. And that's, of course, very reminiscent of what happened in the time of Jesus and John the Baptist, where we read of whole villages and towns just emptying to go and hear John and Jesus preach in the wilderness at times. And that's what happens in times of revival. People end up, you know, going without sleep and walking for hours to just get where God is. They, they sacrifice just to be where God is in his presence. And that's the atmosphere of revival. In Jesus times, you know, the the rooms were so full that you had to break open the roof to get to Jesus. You know, 5,000 men plus women and children are gathered on the hillside. They hadn't thought of bringing any lunch just because they were fixated on being with Jesus. This is the atmosphere of revival where God gives us a fresh appetite and a hunger for God above the normal. This has always been the case in times of revival. One great revival called the Great Awakening, which happened in America in about the, 19, in the 1730s under a man called Jonathan Edwards. This is what he wrote about those times where just hundreds and hundreds of people were coming to Christ. He wrote this, all other talk about spiritual and eternal things was soon thrown by. All the conversation in all companies and upon all occasions was upon these things only. Religion was with all classes the great concern. And the world was a thing only by the by. The only thing in their view was to get the kingdom of heaven and everyone appeared pressing into it. The engagement of their hearts in this great concern could not be hidden. It appeared in their very countenances. There was scarcely a single person in the town, either old or young, that was left unconcerned about the great things of the eternal world. And the work of conversion was carried on in a most astonishing manner and increased more and more souls did, as it were, come by flocks to Jesus Christ. This is revival and engagement. It doesn't matter what class you are. doesn't whether you're a man or a woman. It doesn't matter what your job is. Everyone suddenly is taken up with spiritual things and a hunger for God pressing into him, whether converted or not. This is what happens in the city of Jerusalem under Nehemiah. On another occasion, another great revival in history uh, called the Second Great Awakening under John Wesley and George Whitefield. Uh, One man in America heard that George Whitefield was nearby about to preach and this is his account he was a a man called Nathan Cole and he heard that Whitfield was about to preach and this is what he writes in his journal in, in 1740 he says I was in my field at work I dropped my tool that I had in my hand and ran home through the house and bade my wife to get ready quick to go and hear Mr. Whitfield preach. I ran to my pasture for my horse with all my might, fearing that I should be too late to hear Whitfield. And I took up my wife and went forward as fast as I thought my horse could bear it. And when my horse began to be out of breath, I would get down and put my wife on the saddle and bid her ride as fast as she could and not stop or slack. And so I would run until I was almost out of breath and then mount my horse again. We improved every moment to get along as though we were fleeing for our very lives, fearing we should be too late to hear the sermon. For we had 12 miles to ride in little less than an hour. Just sense the hunger in this man to get where God is. He then describes on the journey, increasingly seeing this cloud on the road, like a fog and the sound of thunder and realizing it was the sound of thousands of horses and people on horseback thundering to go and hear the word of God preached in a field by George Whitfield in a time of revival. He says, when we got down to the old meeting house, there was a great multitude, some 4,000 people. When I looked towards the great river, I could see ferry boats running swift forwards and backwards, bringing loads of people and oars rowing nimble and quick. Everything men, horses and boats seemed to be struggling for life. And on that day, Nathan Cole, who wrote that account, gave his life to Christ. That's what happens in revival. There's a desperation for God, a hunger that says where he is is where I have to be. And I will sacrifice anything to be with God in his presence. And that's what's happening in Jerusalem on this day in Nehemiah chapter 8. There is a spiritual hunger being catalyzed. And notice that we read they gather at the water gate. That's very They're very symbolic and very significant because the Water Gate was where the only source of water was in Jerusalem. It's where the life literally flowed into the city. And this is the very place where crowds gather to hear the word of God. This is what happens in revival times. There is a hunger for God. People don't show up late. They're not lackadaisical. They're not passive. They're not apathetic. They are desperate to be with God. Friends, we've got to pray for those days again days of revival the second characteristic we see in revival is a renewed hunger for god's word the first is a desperation for god himself but secondly a renewed hunger for god's word this is what we read in verse 4 Ezra the teacher of the law stood on a high wooden platform built for the occasion beside him on his right stood lots of guys with long names verse 5 Ezra opened the book And all the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, all the people stood up. Now, I went to a Catholic school as a a teenager. And I remember my very first lesson in my new Catholic school. Uh, We were told and taught that whenever a teacher walked into the room, the whole class would stand up. And that we weren't allowed to sit down until the teacher sat down and gave us permission to do so. And if we didn't, man, we got in trouble. I I remember that. And so religiously, we would stand up as soon as any person of authority came in the room and we would not sit down until they told us to. And at the time, I just thought it was an annoyance. But now I realise they were teaching us an important principle and the principle was honour. You honour someone of authority when they walk into the room. And this is what happens in this passage we see as soon as ezra the scribe opens up the word of god all the people stand up why because they are recognizing the authority of the word of god over their lives they stand up as a as a symbolic gesture of honor and that's what happens here the other reason why ezra preaches from a platform is not just for logistics it's not just so that everybody can hear him, but the reason historically why preachers preach from a platform or a podium is this, it's because the word of God is over us. We are placing an authority over our lives, the word of God. We're saying, I'm not here to shape this. This is here to shape me. I am under the word of God and I'm giving authority in my life. And that's what happens in times of revival. People freshly get a hunger for the word of God and they put it in the right position in their life. And they say, I'm putting the word of God in the highest place of authority in my life. I'm putting it on a platform over me. That's what happens here. The word of God becomes central again in times of revival. And again, I would suggest to you, how much do we need this today? I wonder how many of us, for example, have our Bibles more like a lucky charm on our bedside tables than actually a book that we read day to day. I wonder how many of us kind of carry this around, but actually rarely read it, rarely think, what does this mean for my my life? You know, I would say it's a sad fact that very often in churches, how rarely we ask each other, what is God speaking to you about from the Bible at the moment? I'm shocked how little that conversation happens amongst Christians. And it's a sign of one of the greatest threats to Christianity in in the next decades. And it's this biblical illiteracy. If I could name one threat to the church right now in the UK, it would be biblical illiteracy. Having Bibles, but never reading it and certainly not applying it. But in times of revival, suddenly we renew our focus on the word of God as our highest authority for living. You know, pilots are taught how to fly by their instrumentation, not just by what they see out their cockpits, because sometimes you get flight blindness. You don't know whether you're flying the right way up or upside down if you're flying in a storm. You can very easily lose sight of perspective if you just fly by what you can see with your eyes so pilots are taught to fly by their instrumentation by the dials on the dashboard that to them is their representation of truth and it's the same for us in this season with, with all the strangeness of this season that we're in, with all its topsy turviness, and you know, the mystery of the season that we're in, how do we steer our course? Well, I tell you how we steer our course, not by what you see with your eye, but by the word of God. This is our instrumentation. This is how we steer the course of our life, through thick and thin, through joys and through grief. The word of God stands in authority above it all. It's timeless, eternal. And in revival, God renews our hunger, our appetite, our honour for the Word of God in Scripture. Friends, I wonder whether you are putting Scripture on a platform above your life, giving it highest authority in your life, if you are reading it, if you're hungry to encounter God in the pages of this book, because that's what happens in times of revival. And then lastly, the last characteristic of revival that we see in our passage is an encounter with the power of God, an encounter with the power of God. Verse six, we read, Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. Then they bowed down and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Then verse nine says, Then Nehemiah, the governor, Ezra, the priest and teacher of the law and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. This is amazing what's happening as Ezra is simply reading the words of the law for six hours straight at the water gate. He's just opening scripture and reading it. What happens is the people begin to encounter God in the power of the Spirit. There's a few key things that we see in this passage. Firstly, we see this moment of fresh surrender. It says they bowed to the ground. This isn't just reading a dusty book. This is people encountering God in a way that causes them to fall to the floor in honor and fresh surrender. We see, secondly, extravagant worship in verse 6. It says, they worship the Lord with their faces to the ground. Again, this isn't just tokenistic worship or the singing of songs. This is bringing a sacrifice of worship to God. a, 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 A fresh worship response as a response to seeing God again. And then the third thing that we see is this incredible conviction of sin. So much so that Ezra and Nehemiah have to persuade them to stop crying because there is grief, there is a mourning for for sin that has been revealed by reading the word of God. And again, this is so often a characteristic in times of fresh spiritual awakening and revival as people get convicted of sin, get convicted of what's right and what's wrong. And again, when you take the word of God out of your life, you no longer have a plumb line of what's right or wrong, but suddenly they could see it again. They could see dark from light. They could see right from wrong. And they were convicted deeply in their hearts. This is a characteristic of revival. In the Hebrides revival in the Isle of Lewis in 1949, Duncan Campbell, one of the leaders wrote this about that revival. He said, the awful presence of God brought a wave of conviction of sin that caused even mature Christians to feel their sinfulness, bringing groans of distress and prayers of repentance from the unconverted. Strong men were bowed under the weight of sin and cries for mercy were mingled with shouts of joy from others who had passed into life. Duncan Come- Campbell writes of walking along just the hedgerows there in the Isle of Lewis and seeing people on the side of the road in agony of sin as they were convicted that I need a saviour as they turn their lives to Christ. Under the Wesleyan revival, Wesley used to frequently preach and just see people fall on the floor under agony of conviction of sin, sometimes falling out of trees. You know, there was such a palpable sense of the fear of God as he preached the word of God. Also in the Welsh revival, one writer writes this, he said a prominent feature of the services in Wales was the terrible conviction of sin and many were shocked at the scenes. Some were on their knees for a long time, unable to utter a word, being in deep distress and agony of soul due to their sins. Others were prostrated under divine influence, unable to rise for long periods of time. Others wept with deep groaning due to the condition of their souls. All that to say, when revival comes, people encounter God in the power of the Holy Spirit in a way that changes them forever. And it's not something that man can conjure up. It's something that God alone can do. You know, I remember my, my closest taste, I think, to revival that I've ever come across was when I was a teenager in the late nine, 1989 and 1990. And in my little youth group where I lived in Brighton, I remember we had a period of a few months where God suddenly came to town. And I remember numbers of people got converted across those months, and our numbers swelled into the hundreds. And every time we gathered to worship, just the power of the Spirit was present in a way that would almost make you feel afraid. God was so close. And I felt in those days, God gave me a token of revival, something that he wants to do again in our lifetime on a massive scale in this nation. the conclusion in our passage today is a wonderful one. We see the fruit of what happens when God comes to town. Verse 10, we read this, Nehemiah said, "'Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks, "'and send some to those who have nothing prepared. "'This day is holy to our Lord. "'Don't grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength.'" This ultimately is the fruit of revival. When God comes to town, when God visits us, it causes great joy. It causes great hilarity. It causes life change. In fact, revival changes whole communities, whole nations, whole families. When God comes to town, it causes lasting and great joy. That's what happens in Israel on this day. Weary builders suddenly become joy-filled revival carriers. They go home rejoicing, eating and drinking, knowing that God is amongst them. This is an absolute game changer. Again, this is what always happens in times of revival. These encounters with God lead to change. It's said under the Wesleyan revival, for example, in the 18th century, that what happened under Wesley, the fact that so many hundreds and thousands came to Christ in that revival, literally averted revolution in in England. At the time, the French Revolution was happening across the water. But it was said that the revival under Wesley caused revolution to be halted in this nation. It led eventually to great social change in our nation. Out of that revival came people like Shaftesbury. It led to things like the abolition of slavery under Wilberforce. It led to the ending of child labor in the mines and in the factories. It led to better working conditions. It led to the reform of prisons. It led to social reform in our nation. How did that happen? How did that joy take place? Because God came to town. And friends, i suggest to you that in this season, We need more than just building bricks and mortar. We need to cry out to God that He would come again, that He would visit us, that He would bring a great awakening in our nation. I'll finish with these last two two things. One is a quote about revival. Arthur Wallace said this Numerous writings on the subject of revival have been preserved to us that will confirm that revival is divine intervention. In the normal course of spiritual things. It is God revealing himself to man in awful holiness and irresistible power. It is such a manifest working of God that human personalities are overshadowed and human programs are abandoned. It is man retiring into the background because God has taken to the field. It is the Lord making bare his holy arm and working in extraordinary power on saint and sinner alike. Friends, it's time to pray prayers for revival, like Habakkuk did. Lord, I've heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, O Lord. Repeat them in our day, in our time, make them known, and in wrath, remember mercy. Let's just take a moment to pray. Father, we just pray that same prayer of Habakkuk. God, we say we've heard of your fame. We've heard of your great deeds, God. We've heard of what you did in Jerusalem on this day in Nehemiah 8, how you visited your people. God, how you've done that through the ages, through the the pages of history in the church. These moments where suddenly you have come to town and God, we cry out together today, do it again, oh God, visit us in power. Visit us in extraordinary revival power. Come to our nation, God, with all of its needs, God, with all of its mess, with all of its chaos, God, with all of its its spiritual dryness. We say, oh God, come, come, oh God, revive the fame of your name in our generation. God, do remarkable things that we could never conjure up, even with our best ideas. We say, Holy Spirit, will you come in wrath, remember mercy. God, come to saint and sinner alike. Come to those who are near to God and those who are far from God today. We cry out to you in the midst of this current cultural moment. Come, oh God, and awaken the nation. We pray again for revival. We put prayers of revival on our lips and we say, God, renew to us a hunger for your word, Renew in us a desperation to be with you wherever you are working. And God, we pray for fresh encounters with the living God that leave us and this nation changed forever. Lord, we ask these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you so much.
1: That is great. Thank you so much, Phil. And that's all we've got time for this morning. So if you'd like to stick around and get to know people, have a coffee and chat, we're going to be doing that over on Zoom. Um, there's There's a link in the chat down the side of the page. But otherwise, we just hope you have a great week.
0: It really has been fantastic to have you with us. I'm going to set you one final challenge before you get off now. And that is just to simply ask yourself the question, how can I demonstrate God's kindness to someone this week? What practical thing can you do to help someone in your sphere? Uh, You know, whether it's a neighbor, whether it's a work colleague, is there something you can do to help someone out? Because I believe that it puts something inside of us at the same time as it massively blesses them. So let's make this week a week when we make a difference to other people's lives. Thanks so much for being with us. Bye. Isn't it amazing to hear Anu's story? And uh, as. I'm going to start again there. That would be tremendous. Thank you very much.
1: That's great. Thank you so much, Phil. And, um, if you, no. <laughs> okay. And again,
0: she's got both of us got like slightly red flustered face going on. there. <laughs> okay. No, I've got no, no, no. that annoyingly shaped face where really I'm just in a smile position. Oh Put You've
1: done it now. We've never got the giggles. It's fine. It's no